0: I'd like to uh, ask you to please take your Bibles once again. And if you would, open up to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Here we have the longest of all of the Psalms. 176 verses. What I'd like to do is begin reading in verse 73. And I'll tell you what, I'll read all the way this whole section uh, to uh, verse 80. So Psalm 119, 73 through 80. There's a a black book uh, under the seat before you, uh, which would be the Bible. Psalm 119, 73 through verse 80. So, hear the Word of our God. Your hands have made and fashioned me. You give me understanding that I may learn Your commandments. Those who fear You shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in Your Word. I know, O Lord that Your rules are righteous, that in faithfulness You have afflicted Me. Let Your steadfast love comfort Me according to Your promise to Your servant. Let Your mercy come to Me that I may live, for Your law is My delight. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes, that I may not be put to shame. Let's pray. O Father, as we are on sacred ground We ask that the Holy Spirit of God would be gracious to us here this day. Father, we ask for the ministry that only You can give to us. For You know us through and through. You know our needs. You know our sorrows. And Father, we look to You to supply for us that which we'll never be able to supply for ourselves. So, Father, we look to You now. Please minister to us as we once again ask this in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Years ago, when I was a student at Moody Bible Institute, one of my uh, fellow classmates made a statement. He said... It is doubtful that God will ever use a man greatly unless and until He first hurt him deeply. When I I heard those words, they had a profound effect upon me. They were words that pierced my inner core. They were words that I've reflected on many in my years of ministry uh, here in the Keys, which is now 33 years, and 33, 30 years the pastor of this church. It is doubtful that God will ever use a man greatly unless he first hurt him deeply. Does God hurt people? Does God hurt his own people? There are some that could say that thought is abhorrent. They look at God as kind of a cosmic sugar daddy. His main concern is with our happiness. They don't think of Him as a holy God who's really and truly concerned about our holiness. And to Him, holiness is more important than our temporal happiness. Look at verse 75 here in Psalm 119. The psalmist says, I know. I have some knowledge here. I know, O Lord. He's speaking directly to God. I I know, O Lord, Your rules. I know they're righteous. And that in faithfulness You have afflicted me. psalmist is not talking about some generic God. Some nebulous entity that's out there somewhere. When you look at the word Lord you'll notice that uh, it's all in uppercase letters. The psalmist knows exactly who he's addressing. Those words represent what theologians call the tetragrammaton which is Latin simply for four letters Y-H-W-H as we transliterate the Hebrew and it represents Yahweh. That's the faithful covenant-keeping God of Israel. That's the God of creation. Read Genesis chapter 1. That's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the God who appeared to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. That's the God who devastated Egypt with ten plagues and led His people out of slavery through the wilderness providing their every need and then eventually into the promised land. That's who the psalmist is speaking to, praying to. I know, O Yahweh, that your rules are righteous. When you look through Psalm 119, it's all about the Word of God. You read through here, and, and you see the psalmist makes reference to the Word of God, but he uses various synonyms. He talks about the law of Yahweh. He talks about the testimonies of God, the precepts of God, the statutes of God, the commandments of God, the righteous rules of God. He knows who Yahweh truly is because Yahweh has revealed Himself. He's made Himself known, not only to the creation, His might and His power and His majesty, but He says, I'm going to tell you things about Myself in My Holy Word that you could never ever figure out just left on your own. The knowledge of the psalmist here is based upon the Word of God, the commandments of God, the rules of God, the testimonies of God. I know, O Yahweh, that Your Word, Your Word's are righteous. Now, how is it that God's Word is righteous? Well, it reflects God's character, doesn't it? God is a righteous God, so everything He tells us is true, reliable, trustworthy, dependable, because that's His character, that's His His, his nature. I know, O oh Yahweh, that your rules are righteous, and, and that in Faithfulness you have afflicted me. If you look up at verse 68, there's a very simple statement made. It's a statement that a child might hear from a Sunday school teacher, "You are good. O oh God. And what you do is good. That's the character of God. Our God is a good God. And what God does is good. God can only do good because that's His nature and His character. We're told in 1 John 1, and verse 5 that God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. James tells us in, in James chapter 1 and verse 13 that God uh, is never tempted and God never tempts anyone with evil. God is not the author of sin. God is good. And everything God does is good. And, and He's a sovereign God. And what do we mean by that? He's a sovereign God. He's in control of Everything. There's not one maverick Adam in the universe. God is sovereign over all things. He has foreordained whatever comes to pass and He's done that for His glory. And He's done that for the good of His people. I know, O Yahweh, that Your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness, You have afflicted me. Lord, You brought affliction into my life and it's for my good. It's that I might cling to You more tightly. That I might seek You more seriously. God is faithful to His people. If you look at the very next verse, 76, let your steadfast love comfort me. The words in this English Standard Version that are translated as steadfast love represent the Hebrew word hesed. Some of your translations, perhaps the King James, might say your mercy. But it's talking about God's covenant faithfulness. God is so committed to His people that whatever He brings into their life allows to come into their life is for His glory and for their ultimate good and welfare. God is concerned about the holiness of His people, and God is concerned about conforming all of us who have humbled ourselves before the Lord Jesus Christ and named Him as our Lord and Savior. God is committed to conforming us to the image of His Son, to making us more like His Son in our character, our, our attitude, our Disposition, our attitudes, God is concerned about holiness. And if He needs to afflict you, if He needs to afflict me to accomplish that, praise God. He is a faithful God. And I can turn to Him and say, O oh Lord, let Your steadfast love, Your covenant faithfulness comfort me according to Your promise to Your servant. All of this is about Him. All of this is about His glory. He's plucked His people out of darkness. He's plucked us out of the muck and the mire of our sin, and He's reconciled us to Himself. There are a lot of people that say, "Well, I I I know there's God, and I I believe in creation." But do you know the Creator God? Do you you know this Creator God personally? Do you call God the Creator your loving Heavenly Father? Do you recognize that if you're reconciled to God through His Son Jesus Christ, He is your loving Heavenly Father, for you've been adopted into His family through the eternal Son of God Jesus Christ? He's your loving Heavenly Father and He'll be your loving Heavenly Father no matter what you have to go through. God's love is constant. God's love is consistent. God's love is not like our love. Our love for people waxes and wanes. It's stronger at times. It's weaker at times. If someone hurts us, then we perhaps don't love them as much as we did when they were pleasing us but when they please us again, then we'll love them a little bit more than we did before. God's love isn't like that. Our God is a perfect God. So what does that mean about His love for His people? It's a perfect love. God's love for His people is an everlasting love. It's not fits and starts. He's loved me from eternity. He loves me now he loved me in eternity future. And the supreme demonstration of that love was in the giving of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ loved the church and He gave Himself up for the church. The Father sent His Son into this world to be the Redeemer of a people. And the cross of Jesus Christ is all about God's love. I want to thank you people for the encouragement and support that you've given to my family and to me in the loss of my beloved wife of 42 plus years. And what I'd like to do in time that we still have here today, it's kind of like let you know what's been happening, how how these things came about from my perspective. Because when we hear about the death of someone, well, you know, so-and-so passed away. Wow. Sorry to hear that. But we really don't know like circumstances. We don't know how the Lord has ministered leading up to and in the midst of the pain and and following the death. So what I'd like to try to do is kind of give you a sense of, of what happened and what's happening. It was on a Tuesday, September the 3rd that I drove my wife over to the local hospital here to have a uh, surgery. This was the third surgery that she would have in this calendar year. The problem started with a parathyroid problem, which we didn't find out until kind of later in the process here. We knew that she had a problem with both of her kidneys. One was actually defective, and non-functional, and the other one could be redeemed and was. But the stem of the problem was a parathyroid condition. And we went to Tampa and we had that taken care of. She had a tumor on one of her parathyroids and that was removed. She had this process called lithotripsy, which took the stones out of the good kidney. and, And now this surgery on a Tuesday morning September the 3rd was to take the defective non-functional kidney out of her body so it wouldn't abscess become infected so I took my wife to the hospital and I waited in the waiting room and uh, as I sat there you know what I was doing? I was reading my Bible Amen. now back up here a little bit. In uh, January of this year, really the latter part of December of last year, as I was preparing to give a a New Year's message to the congregation, I thought to myself, I'm always telling my people they need to read the Bible. But there's an old saying, if you aim at uh, nothing, you're certain to hit it. Right? So I said, I've got to be more specific. I'm going to have to lay out some plans for them. Not just say, read your Bible. And so I went online and I started looking at reading plans. And there's all kinds of reading plans to help you get through the Bible once every year, once every two years. You can read the Bible chronologically. You can get through the New Testament three times and the Old Testament one time. All kinds of, a plethora of plans. Well, one of them I came across really intrigued me. You can can look this up yourself. It's called uh, Professor Horner's Bible Reading System. I'd never heard of it before. So I'm looking at this thing. You read ten chapters of the Bible every day. Oh, man, that's heavy lifting. Ten chapters a day. Well, it's not ten chapters of consecutive reading in a book. It's ten chapters from ten different books. Four are in the New Testament. Six are in the Old Testament. And then we've always done, done family devotions where we read two chapters of the Bible a day and then we do our table talk readings and this year it's been like reading another chapter for those daily readings so I thought I don't know if I can do this this is like amazing then I thought to myself well I get paid to know the Bible so I'm going to read the Bible and so I'm reading like 13 chapters of the Bible every day it's taking me two hours I'm thinking to myself it's a pretty good investment of in my time I just wondered if I could maintain and sustain <laughs> I pray Lord you're going to have to help me to do this this is like major well by God's grace I've been reading my ten chapters according to Dr. Horner's scripture reading program and uh I'm at the waiting room now, right? I'm looking at the clock. It seems kind of loud. But it gives me an opportunity to keep up with my daily reading. Well, eventually the doctor comes out. He says, hey, er- everything went good. No problems. She's in recovery now. She'll be brought to her room and, and you'll be able to go see her. Okay, doc. That's great. Thanks for the, thanks for the good news. So uh, a while later, I close my Bible, I, I go up, she's in her room on the second floor, and she's coming out of it, you know, out of the anesthesia. And So things are progressing nicely. That was September the 3rd, Tuesday. She's in there Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. And she's tender, as they had to make an incision in her abdomen to take this bad kidney out. And uh, so I had now on uh, Friday to go to Philadelphia, to go to a memorial service for the treasurer of our ministry who passed away suddenly at 56 years old, leaving his wife and children and grandchildren behind. I was going to Philadelphia. Jane drove me to the airport, but on the way to the airport, let's stop, let's see Mom, and let's do family devotions, which we've done five days a week for I can't even tell you how many years. So we went to the hospital, spent 45 minutes with my wife, Ceci. We read Scripture, we prayed, and I gave her a kiss goodbye and said I want you to be home when I get home. Go to the airport. I found in following this Bible reading system, traveling by plane is really a good thing. <laughs> because I'm sitting in an airport. And if I get on an airplane and somebody puts their earphones in, well, I guess they don't want to talk. And so what am I doing? That day, now we're at September the 6th, Friday. Key West Airport reading scripture Miami Airport reading scripture flying to Philadelphia my friend who was to rent a car and rent a hotel room with whom I would be staying plane was late extra hour to tell you my friends without hyperbole i must have read 25 chapters of god's word on that fateful day Amen. my friend matt Arrived. we went to get the rental car he was driving we're going to the hotel room next morning at 10 o'clock we're supposed to go to Dave Haney's memorial service and uh, riding along dark highway in Philadelphia it's about 62 degrees for this Key West boy I'm shivering it was like a winter day for me it's about 11 o'clock. My cell phone rings. Is this uh, William Wellzine? Yeah. Oh, this is Dr. Ferris. When your wife's attending physician calls you at uh, 11 o'clock at night, you can imagine it's not going to be good news. So I braced myself. And he says, uh, Mr. Welzine, I'm really sorry to tell you that your wife's passed away. When you hear about the proverbial ton of bricks coming down upon your skull, that's what happened when those words came to my heart. She wasn't on life support system when I left. All of her vitals looked good. Everything looked like we were making good progress. wife's dead I can tell you my my dear friends there was not one moment where I was angry or bitter or resentful to my God why is that? because God was making himself more and more real to me from His Holy Word. He was telling me about His person for 45 years of being a believer, teaching me this good, sound, wholesome, healthy theology, this truth about God over 45 years as a believer, but especially over this year. As I'm just immersed in the Word of God. And, and reading it and praying over it and saying, Lord, help me to understand Your Word. This is no shock or surprise to God. The writer of Hebrews says in 9.27, it's appointed unto men once to die. God knew the day of my wife's death before she was born from all eternity. He knows the very moment when you will draw your last breath. And if the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't come back before and catch us up to meet Him in the air, you will take your last breath on this earth and then you'll pass out of this world. And if Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, then to be absent from the body again is to be present with the Lord. You'll, You'll be in glory. Now, I get the news, right? I go to the hotel room. My friend Matt's sitting next to me and he's hearing my side of the conversation. And he's floored, as you can imagine. Get to the hotel room. I'm, I'm distraught. My heart is beating harder and faster than ever in my entire life my body is filled with adrenaline. I guess that's what they call shock. And I'm praying, Oh Lord, I need help. I need grace. I need you to strengthen me and give me wisdom. First thing I do when I get to the hotel room is call all my kids, all nine, and tell them, it's midnight now. Mom's dead. Mom, mom is... Mom's what? Mom's passed away. After I call all my children, what do I do? I call American Airlines Says, says, hey, I need to get a ticket. I got to get back to Key West. My wife's dead. I, I need to get back there. I slept one hour and 24 minutes on that Saturday morning. I know that because I have a GPS watch that recorded that fact. I was back to the airport by 6 o'clock on the plane before 7 o'clock and back here at 11. And my daughter, Abby, picked me up. We picked up my wife's personal effects from the hospital and I was at home. And now I'm dealing with things that I've never dealt with before. The man at the cemetery, the director of the funeral home, Things can change like that. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 27.1, don't boast yourself about tomorrow. You don't know what a day may bring. I also learned we can't cling too tightly to anything in this world. We have to learn to cling tightly to our God. major changes major adjustments but you know god doesn't change he's still the all-knowing all-present all-powerful immutable god who reigns upon the heavens we in this temporal world we're 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 looking at change constantly The psalmist writes, I, I know, O Sovereign Lord Yahweh, that Your Word, Your rules, Your testimonies are, are righteous. And in faithfulness You have afflicted me. You love me so much that You blessed me with this woman. I, and, I, and I've thought about this. You know, God gives blessings by grace. God doesn't owe me anything. He gave me life. He owes me nothing. I owe him everything. And because I'm a sinner, you know what God owes me? His judgment and his wrath. I violated his laws. Commandments and thought, speech, and action. Because of my sin, I merit God's judgment. But God says, I'm going to send my son into this world to be a savior. He's going to pay for your sin. I got on that plane. I got on that plane. And I'm so thankful that the Lord put me by the window. That was a gal sitting next to me in the middle seat. And she slept the whole time. I'm thankful for that gal in fact that she slept. I'm thankful I was in the window seat because all I did is look out it and just weep. Tears just flowed down my cheeks the whole time on the plate. You know, I opened up my Bible. I just opened it up. And you know the words that first hit my eyes as I was on the airplane flying back to Key West? Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Isaiah 53. It's a prophetic statement, 700 years before the Lord Jesus would grace this earth. It speaks about his, his passion and his sacrifice upon the cross of Calvary. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. I took out my pencil. I've got it written right here. 9:7:19. Nine, Talking about the cross. Passage goes on and says, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord, that is Yahweh, laid on him, the Son of God Jesus Christ, the sin, the iniquity of us all. I weep and I mourn and I grieve for the loss of my wife. But I don't grieve and mourn as others who have no hope. Because of the truth that's given to us here in Isaiah 53, because the Lord Jesus bore our griefs and our sorrows in His sacrificial atoning death at the cross of Calvary, we have hope. We have hope. My sin has been paid for in full at the cross and my Savior was resurrected on the third day. He defeated our great enemies of sin, death, and Satan, and He ever lives in His incorruptible, immortal, imperishable body. And the Lord Jesus then ascended into heaven where He now makes intercession for His people. He prays. The Lord Jesus is praying for me. He prays for all of His people constantly. The Holy Spirit is within us. He makes intercession for us with groanings too deep even for words to be uttered. There's times I don't know how to pray as I ought, but the Holy Spirit is praying for me according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit within me, the Lord Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Our triune God is for His people. And because the Lord Jesus has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows in going to the cross and paying our debt, he was afflicted of God. He was stricken by the Father upon the cross where the full brunt of the wrath of God came down upon him, the wrath that we've merited for our sin. Because of that, we have hope. Not, but real hope. Hope beyond the grave. If we're not in the Word of God, how can God minister to us? If we're not learning about the person of our God, how do we expect Him to minister to us? This is His love letter to us. He's saying, I want you to know My heart. Open up My Word. Spend time in it. Make My Word a priority in your life. Make My Word a priority in your day. Read the word, squeeze it for the goodness and all the nutritive value that's to be found in Holy Scripture. He's a God who's sovereign, He has a plan, He has a purpose. And He's made promises to us as people. Our elder Tim Warner in Sunday school class, he he spoke to us about uh, there needs to be a humble laying hold of God's promises. Again, how do you know what God's promises are? You know, most people, they'll say they believe in God, but ask them, tell me about the God you believe in. And they'll start fumbling and hemming and hawing and God is that it's God of their mind the God of your mind can't do anything for you because the God of your mind is an idol Yahweh that's who the psalmist is praying to the triune God, Father God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, that's that's the the, the true and living God of, of the Bible I'm so thankful that I know what I know about the person of God. I'm so thankful that I know something about God's eternal purposes. And I know these things, not because I'm exceptionally bright, but because God has spoken to us in, in our language plainly and clearly. Will we pick up His Word? Will we say, Lord, teach me? Instruct me? I don't want to be like the horse or the mule. It has to be led about with bitten bridle. No, I, I, I want to come eagerly and enthusiastically. I want you to speak to me. I want you to come close to me. I want to know that you are the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. I need to experience that, that mercy and that comfort. You're not a God who is. willy-nilly. or plan, a purpose. You determined your decrees from eternity and you've made them known in redemptive history and in history broadly and generally speaking. I need to know the promises of God. In 1 Peter 2.11... Peter tells us that we are strangers and exiles. We're sojourners. We're pilgrims. We're resident aliens. If you're a pilgrim, if you're a sojourner, if you're an exile, then that means this isn't your homeland. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from there, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when He comes back, what is He going to do to these bodies of humiliation? These lowly bodies. What is He going to do? He's going to change them, right? He's going to change, transform these bodies and conform them into glorious bodies like His Son's own glorious body. Yesterday at the graveside, we noted that Jesus said, I am what? The resurrection and the life. Statements about God, about the Lord Jesus, and promises. And a call to take God at His word. Since uh, my wife's passing, again, I've thought to myself, Lord, You didn't have to give her to me at all? Or You can give, could have given her to me for three months or three years, or 23 years or 30 years, but You gave her to me for 42 plus years. Thank you. Thank you. And the book of Job. Those opening two chapters are very, very powerful. The book of Job is profound. Job lost his family. He lost his children. The first chapter ends this way. Job arose... Tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshiped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. That's how the first chapter ends. In the second chapter, Job loses his health. And his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. What does Job say? He said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive disaster? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. My God knows. My God has a plan. My God has my best interests at heart all the time. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the same is true for you. Your God knows. And your God has your best interests at heart all the time. And if affliction comes into your life, trial comes into your life, Jesus said, in this world you're going to have trial and tribulation. But He didn't stop there, did He? He said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Right? I'll tell you, if you don't know Jesus as Lord, or perhaps you've wandered away from Him, maybe you say, Well, I, I received Him earlier on in my life, but I've been kind of living my own life, doing my own thing, and I've been living for the Lord. I've been living for me, for my satisfaction, and, 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 and for the things that please me. Well, if that's the case. You know what God calls us to? He calls us to repent. It's another passage here in the book of Psalms that has ministered to my heart greatly. Psalm 34 and verse 18. The Lord is near to who? The brokenhearted. And the Lord saves the crushed in spirit. Lord, that's me. I'm brokenhearted. I'm crushed in spirit. Well, God says I'm near you. I'm here to rescue you. Deliver you, strengthen you, teach you through all of this pain and this sorrow so that you can be better equipped in your knowledge of me so that you can minister to other people who are hurting, smarting, in pain. Character of God, plan of God, the purposes of God. Ever since all of this has taken place, I continue to look to my God and I continue to pray and I thank you for your prayers for me and your prayers for my family. And uh, Again, I draw attention to this as I close here. Thomas says, "I know, O Lord, o, o Yahweh, that your rules are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me, according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me, that I may live. For your law, your word, your testimonies." are my delight. Let those who fear you turn to me that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes that I may not be put to shame. Again, if you're not a believer, cast yourself at the feet of King Jesus, the crucified one the resurrected one, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Cast yourself before Him. If you are a believer, praise God for His grace that He's reconciled you to Himself and seek Him with all your heart. Everything we see is passing away. Everything. Everything. But God's word is sealed forever in heaven. Heaven and earth will pass away. But Jesus said, My words shall never, ever, ever pass away. Thank you so much for your prayers for my family and myself. I love you people. Very precious to me. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I thank you for this congregation and I thank you, Father, for what you've shown me and taught me over the years. Thank you, Father, that you've prepared me for this time, for this day, and you'll continue to prepare me for what's before me, and you'll prepare my children for what's before them. And, Father, I pray that we'll all recognize that you are a God with a plan and a purpose. I pray that we'll seek to be in step with your plan and your purpose. That we'll not be resisting you. Because, Father, we know that indeed our arms are really too short to box God. That your truth will triumph. So it only makes sense for us to get on board with you. And to keep in step with your Holy Spirit. Father, please forgive us of our many sins. And we thank You, Father, that You promise in the Word of God that if and when we confess our sins to You, You are always faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Thank You, Father, for Your, for your promises. May Your hand of favor rest upon us, Your people. Father, we pray our prayers. In the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ, the One who is the resurrection and the life. Amen.